no announcements. Um, so I got lucky. I asked what my turn to do announcements. There's no announcements. So I brought my own announcements. I'm, um, I'm with, um, lately, after, since I've been an elder, since then, uh, I've been with Treehouse in, here in Mushera County. And Treehouse is an organization that started out uh, reaching out to at-risk teens, but then they decided that all teens are at risk, and our new purpose is to end hopelessness. And so every week when we get, get together with the kids, and we have about 20 of them now, 20, 20 give or take some, and um, we tell them every one of them is lovable, capable, and worthwhile. Every one of them has a future, and every one of them is loved without strings. And one week is a secular talk, and the next week we tell them why they are love without strings. That's grace. We tell them why they are lovable, capable, and worthwhile because they were made in the image of our creator. We tell them why they have a future because the Bible promises it. And so um, this week it just so happens we're praying for Ash and Leanna, my son and his wife, uh, for Treehouse in Minnesota. Please also pray for Treehouse here in Matoma. And I have flyers out in the lobby. I can hit, show you those. Um, other things, there's going to be a, a prayer, a time of prayer uh, in the right front corner of the sanctuary between services, if you want to join for that. Um, and if the ushers want to come forward, we'll, we'll pray for the offering. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for providing for our church. Uh, please bless this offering and multiply it and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I'd like to um, mention, too, that uh, Pastor Adam is continuing in, in uh, 1 Peter uh, 2. These are the last words of Peter. So imagine what you would tell people if you knew that you were nearing the end and this was the most important thing you had to say. This is what he said to people who were suffering, and he was going to suffer. So, so I'm excited to hear what Pastor Adam has to say about that. Thank you. Amen on the blessed be the Lord name. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I thought Sadie was just going to levitate there at a point there. We're glad you're here this morning. You may be seated. Um, I just wanted to say about, it is great, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord. That song has so many words of the scriptures in it. And then the song that we sang previously, that reckless love, it sounds like the reckless love kind of is a weird way of saying that, but on our level, on our level, <laughs> it looks reckless. I mean, why in the world would he love me? You know, kind of thing. And so I think that's what the author was trying to get about in that song was, on our level, it looks like reckless, but it's not. And the rest of the song bears that out, how he, he has called onto us. So I am glad you're here this morning. I have a few announcements. Uh, first is I'm still doing interviews. I'm up to 68 at this point, going shooting for 100. And so the table is in back in the foyer. Um, if you'd like to, I'd love to have a set down with you, go through some of those interview questions, but also just to get to know who you are. And those have been blessed times. Uh, they usually run longer. Some of you have required three hours. Yes. <clears throat> um, I won't mention who, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, uh, going on um, 
online on the survey. You'll see those in the back of your seats. Feel free to take one of those if you have not done that. I get an update every Saturday night of how many have gone online and done the survey online. And we've done 51 so far. Our goal is to be right around 170 to get the best um, like sampling of everything that's there. And if there's ever a question on there you just don't know how to answer, just don't answer it, okay? Everything is uh, anonymous, um, but what will happen is that data will be pulled together. And on September 18th, we will have a, the survey says, uh, kind of time together. I heard there might be some food involved in this kind of thing. So I'm looking forward to that. So, and if you cannot go online to do that, there are some paper copies of it out on the table in the foyer. You'll need to get it done a little bit sooner because this is open until August 15th so that myself and the office staff can put those in manually into the computer so that everybody's is included in that, okay? So there we go with that. Um, sermon this morning is called the, the Milk, the Stone, and the Scriptures. The milk, the stone, and the, it should be, I, I should have put scriptures on there. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. I titled it that because those are the two um, pictures that Peter is going to give to us this morning to look at, to think about the milk, and he's going to have us think about a stone this morning, and he's going to relate it to the scriptures, to the scriptures. So just a little bit of recap. Um, chapter one, Peter gave a thesis, verses one and two, where he says, I want to talk to you in this letter about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about salvation. And he got dives deep into that topic. And I want to tell you how to live, how to live. And remember, he's speaking to first century Gentile Christians who are being heavily persecuted. And, and he's saying, this is how I, I want you to live. Secondly, we went into the whereas section, verses 3 through 12, where he goes into telling them just how great a salvation they have received. It's God planned, it's Jesus purchased, and it's the Spirit polishing this salvation that you have received. And it is a great salvation, so great that then he went into the therefore section, verses 13 through 25, and he said, here are four commands. Four commands, you heavily persecuted Christians. First one was set your hope fully on the grace, the grace that God has provided at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And when I looked at that, it's God directed. It's set because it's God who has given us this grace. And so we follow that command. We're thinking of him and what he has provided. Number two, he said, be holy in all your conduct. Be holy in all your conduct. Now your conduct goes outward but our example of our conduct is be holy as I am holy. So we are to be imitators of God. So that one is also God-directed. We, we think of him as we conduct. Third one, conduct yourselves with fear. Fear meaning a reverence of, of in, with action. And he says, remember that your father if you call him your father, is a just judge. He's the one that's going to be able to take care of everything in the end. He will write everything in the end. And also, remember how you were ransomed. You were ransomed by Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. 
That's how you were ransomed. So again, that one is kind of God-directed. We're thinking about God. But then the last one, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, from a pure heart. This is the one that kind of goes out this way. The others are vertical. This one goes out horizontal. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And as we go into our new passage this morning, it's like Peter is saying, okay, let's take a look at that one a little bit deeper. Let's take a look at this last command that I give you that's going horizontal a little bit deeper this morning. And as he looked at that, as he introduced it in chapter one at the end, he said, if we're going to love one another earnestly, we need to, we need to get our guidance from the word of God. This living, abiding, remaining forever word of God that is the gospel that was preached to you. So we need to keep God's word ever before us if we're going to love one another earnestly. And so he's going to bring that back up again. He's actually going to use the scriptures to explain the scriptures so that we see that this is how we're going to love one another more earnestly. So I thought, you know how I keep doing songs, 1878, you know, I just keep going farther back. Here's a great song about the word of God about the word of God. It goes, how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. In that first verse there of this song, he, he just presents it. This is a great word that we have, his excellent word, and it's been spoken to us. Now, what's really great about this song, what's really great is in the next verses, what the author of the song does is he says, okay, let's just go to the words of Jesus, of God. And, and, and you, as I sing through this and you sing along, if you know it, um, you'll see, you'll pick up some of the words of God that you have read before, but he writes it in such a way that it's like God is singing back to you, okay? God is singing back to you. So he says, fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. Do you hear some of the phrases of God in there? Yeah. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. I'll just do the last verse because I love the last verse. I love the, the soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose. This is the one that has leaned upon Jesus, has, has accepted Jesus Christ as their savior, is saved, is born again and everything. Listen to the words coming back at you. God is singing these words back to you. 
The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Somebody's got to say a big amen. Amen, yeah. It's, isn't that wonderful? And I, it works in because really that's what Peter's going to do in this passage of scripture. He's going to show us how important the word of God is to us. And just as we see that song and we see how it's almost like God is singing back to us his words. Well, that's what the word of God is. It's God breathed. And when we open it up and we read it, he is speaking to us through his word this morning. So, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, just a reading of it this morning. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for those of for you who believe, but... For those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning in your word. We thank you that, that you sing back to us on a regular basis when we open up our Bibles. We thank you for your son, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his coming again. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit given to your children to guide us in your truth. May you guide us this morning in thy precious name. Amen. Amen. So back to verse one. So put away all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander, all slander. Um. So, another word for so, some versions will say, therefore, therefore, or these things being so, it's related to what is just before. So what was just before? Well, commandment number four, I mean, when I say commandment number four, I don't mean commandment of number four of the 10 commandments. I mean, commandment number four that Peter gave them, but it relates back to that. How do I love one another earnestly from a pure heart? So this is relating back to that, what was previously there. So he says, so put away. The words put away mean to strip off dirty garments. That's the physical word, physical picture of that. That if I'm going to strip away, I'm going to strip off these dirty garments that I have on. Lots of times in the first century, baptism, they would come up to the river. They would come up to the river and they would actually discard all their old garments their dirty garments, and they would drop their dirty garments. They would go into the river. They would be baptized. They would come out the other side of the river, and they would put a new gown on them, new garments that are on them. 
So here's Peter saying, you need to put away these dirty garments. I love lists in the Bible. He says malice, and he just lists down here. That's a desire to injure somebody, to damage internally. It's up here. He says, strip that off. Strip off deceit. That's to catch by bait, to catch by bait. You know, if you're a fisherman, what do you do? You put that bait on there. You're trying to deceive the fish kind of thing. That's to deceive truth. Next you go, he says, strip off hypocrisy. That is acting of a stage player. You have an actor up there, but that's not really who he is. He's just putting on a play to you. So he's displaying falsely who he is. Envy, which is corrupt jealousy, that's where you dwell on it on resentment. It builds and it builds and it builds. And then finally, it leads to slander, where that's actually evil speaking, and you dump publicly. Okay, and I hope you see the see the progression that's going on there. It's 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 in here. This malice uh, seeking to injure somebody. Then then you're like, okay, how could I do this? Where's the bait to be able to do this? Then 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 okay, but but I'm gonna have to kind of put on a face in front of the person. I'm not, I'm gonna have to play a little role here, you know, before it ever happens. And then then I, it, it dwells up here so much that I can't get it out of my head. And then what's it finally do? It dumps out of your mouth. Now, Peter and Paul, lots of times they say the same thing over and over again. It should not be surprising because it's the same spirit that guides them in writing the scriptures. But in Colossians chapter three, starting at verse eight, listen to Paul's words. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have been taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of the creator, of our creator. So he says, first off, if you're going to love one another earnestly, here's some things you got to strip away. You got to take off. Now, if you take something off, you got to put something on. So that leads us into verse two. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. He gives us this picture to think about. As newborn infants, literally as born just now babies. Okay, that's the picture you have in your mind. Born just now babies. What happens, ladies? What happens with born just now babies? What do they do? Wah! Yeah, they cry. And what do they do with the baby? They give the baby to the mother. And the mother, you know, and they, they nurse the baby and stuff like that. That's the picture he wants in your, in your head right now. Like newborn babies. And what he's going to say here, like I said before, you're putting away something, you're stripping off something. Now you're longing for something. You're going to put something in its place. That long for means desire strongly, crave. And so you, you get that picture in your head. There's newborn baby crying, craving his mother, craving his mother. What does he crave? Well, he says, crave the pure spiritual milk. And some versions say the pure spiritual milk of the word, pure, guileless, unadulterated, clean, opposite of deceit, opposite of that whole list in verse one. He says, you, you crave what is totally opposite of that. And 
the word spiritual there ties you to the word of God, that what we crave is the pure spiritual milk of the word of God. Now, I know in other passages of scripture, milk is used in contrast with meat. You know, like milk is the soft stuff of the word and meat is the heavy stuff of the word kind of thing. But in this passage, in this context, it's not being used that way. Peter is just saying, hey, like that newborn baby craves milk, craves its mother, that's what you're to do. You are to crave the pure spiritual milk of the word. I put down there, what is it? Because it says that by it, you may grow up into salvation. What it is, is that pure spiritual milk. How do I grow up in my salvation in respect to my salvation? I grow up in that by reading and claiming the words of God. So you were born or reborn or born again or or born anew. Then you crave the pure spiritual milk. Then you grow up. So there's always, when the scripture talks about, there's always this growth element when you're talking about someone who is saved. It's not just saved. Okay, I'm saved. There, I'm done. No, it's never like that in the scriptures. It always talks about this growth element that is to happen in your life, that you grow into your salvation. You're already saved, but you grow in respect to your salvation, how you live out this saved life. So again, we go back to um, Paul, and Paul says something very similar in chapter 2 of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 12, says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now also in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. Continue to live out this salvation is what he's saying. Live out this with fear and trembling in the sight of God, this reverent fear of God. For it is God, for it is, for it is God who works in you to will and to act. There it is. It's, it's working out. Act according to his good purpose. Then we go to verse three, and it says, if you, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. And this is the first place where um, Peter starts going back to the Old Testament and saying, okay, I'm going to use the word to, to emphasize what I'm saying to you. And so the cross reference, and if you've got your scripture journal, write this down somewhere, is Psalm 34, 18. Psalm 34, 18 is where he's pulling it from. And in Psalm 34, 18, it is, it is in its present form. It's in its present form, present tense. It's like an invitation that is being said. Psalm 34, 18 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So it's like, like, like he's saying to them, I, I'm, I'm calling out to you to taste and see what the Lord is good. But when Peter says it, he uses it in the past tense. He says, you have tasted since you have tasted. Now that you have tasted, you've already tasted that the Lord is good, that he's merciful, that he's kind, he's virtuous. And you can actually kind of read these verses backwards, three to one. So if you start and say, if indeed, since you have indeed tasted that the Lord is good, go back to verse two, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you will grow up in your salvation. Then go back to verse one. 
So put away all malice. And I would say replace it with love. And put away all deceit. And I would say replace it with truth. And put away hypocrisy and replace it with being genuine. And put away envy and replace it with joy. And put away slander and replace it with encouragement. You could go backwards there. So this is a good stop part to stop and just say, what have you been feeding on lately? If he says that you are to be craving the pure spiritual milk of the word, what have you been feeding on lately? Have you replaced the pure spiritual milk with junk food? It's easy to do. It's easy to do. My hand's up. It's easy to do to replace the pure spiritual milk of the word of God with junk food. There's plenty of junk food out there. And even talking about physically about junk food, there's junk food out there that's junk food. I mean, you read the ingredients and everything in it, and you're like, there is, I can't even read this kind of thing. Yet, you you know, and it is absolutely junk. It is like nothing, you know, it's junk. But then there's another form of junk food out there. There's junk food out there that's junk food, but it's got a few things in there. You know, there's a few good things in there. Like it says kale. <laughs> it says, it's deep fried, but don't worry about it. It says kale. You, you get my drift, what I'm trying to say there? There's junk food out there that has a little bit of good in it, you know? But it's still what? Junk food. It's still junk food. Okay. Lots of times what we do is we rely on others. In, in, in a sense, this is good. It's just that lots of times we rely on others for the milk that we need to get ourselves from his very words. Uh, this next phrase on here is worth the whole thing. This is worth admission this morning. Do you read things that reference the Bible or do you start with the Bible? A lot of times we, th- we listen to things, we read things, and, and sometimes they reference the Bible, and that's good, that's good. But we need to remember that what Peter's talking about here is that we crave the pure spiritual milk. We start with the Bible. There needs to be times in your life where you, uh, on a daily basis, where you open up his pure, unadulterated word, and, and, and you start there. You start with the word of God. Okay, verse four, he says, uh, come to, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen. Now, he's going to go on to this second picture he wants us to see. You come to him. The word means draw near to him, draw near to him. Kind of along the lines of verse two, when he says long for, but he gives us a second picture and it's a stone. The word for stone there is actually like building material. Okay, it's building material, but he says a living stone. So now that kind of twists your thinking. You're thinking building material, but building material that's breathing? Okay, so, so that perks your interest. But Peter has already used this word many times. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says a living hope. In chapter 1, verse 21, he says God raised him from the dead, so we, we have a living Savior. In chapter 23, verse 23 of chapter 1, he talks about the word of God being living and abiding word. So he says here, you have some building material, but it's living. It's living. 
And the next thing, it's rejected by men. So the men come in, they look at all the building materials that they have here to build this structure. Whatever the structure is, they're going to build. And as they look it over, they inspect it, and they get to this one, and they disapprove. This, this will never do. This won't work. And so what they actually do is they take it and they separate it out. They put it over here so it doesn't get mixed up with the stuff that they can use. Okay, this stone has been rejected by men. But in the scriptures, it says there, Peter says, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. See, this, this building material that the guys rejected and put over here in a separate pile not to use, that one, he says, God calls chosen and precious to him in the sight of God. So I'm probably jumping ahead here, but, but man's efforts, man's efforts will never thwart the plan of God. Yeah, tweet that one out, somebody. Man's efforts will never, will never thwart the plan of God. That is chosen and precious. Peter is going back to uh, chapter 1 and verse 20 and 19. In verse 20, in chapter 1, he said, He was foreknown, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you. He's saying he, he was chosen, Jesus was chosen. Then in back in verse 9, how is he described? But with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. This one is chosen and precious. And I couldn't help but think of Jesus' baptism scene. And the Spirit of the dove, uh, Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. And then there's a voice from heaven. This is my son, chosen. This is my son, whom I love. He's precious. And who am I well pleased with? So he goes on with this analogy, and you get to verse 5. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Jesus Christ. So he's going to identify two groups here, two groups he wants to divide up. You yourselves are identified to who? You yourselves are identified to the elect exiles that he spoke of in chapter 1, verse 1, the ones who are saved. The ones he's writing to, he's saying, you yourselves. So this is group number one, okay? I'm making it group number one. We go from being newborn, we've tasted to see that the Lord is good. We go to long for pure spiritual milk. Then we go to grow up in our salvation, to come to him. And now he says you're being built up. This group number one is being built up into a spiritual house, not a physical house a spiritual house. And this spiritual house, it, you are to be a holy priesthood. You, the ones who are reading the letter, are to be a holy priesthood. You're the ones that get, offer glory to God. You're the ones that offer sacrifices and worship unto God. You're the ones that bring the word of God to others that are in that place. And to offer spiritual sacrifices, not physical sacrifices, notice that, but spiritual sacrifices. So if I back up a little bit, if Jesus, the living stone, was rejected by men, what will happen to you as like living stones? What do you think is going to happen? At times, you are going to be what? Rejected by men. Yeah. If Jesus is 
in the sight of God is chosen and precious, what are his obedient children to God? What are you to God? Chosen and precious. Chosen and precious. Again, you probably know this one, but here, just to read it again, Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul says some of the same words that Peter said. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as what? Living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Yeah, strip off that stuff, and be, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect, pleasing and perfect, perfect will. So um, we go to verse six, and here, here um, Peter pulls in another passage. If you want to write it down somewhere there, you're going to write down Isaiah 28, 16. That's what he's quoting. He says, for it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone, precious, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So there's the cross-reference. When it says it stands in Scripture, that word stands means it surrounds this. This statement, Scripture surrounds. Scripture encompasses. Scripture, you can hold this in your hand, grasp it as hard as you want to, what I'm going to say next that comes in Scripture. And then he says, behold. Some versions say, lo. Some versions might might interpret it. Attention, please. Attention, please. I got something to say. I am laying. Who is laying? God is laying. The word for laying there means he is setting. He is placing. He is positioning a stone in Zion. In Zion is another word for Jerusalem. In Zion. And what kind of stone? We find out it's a cornerstone. Not just any type of stone. There's all kinds of stones that they would use for building material, but they were looking for the cornerstone. They were looking for that stone that would be first placed on the building, and and, and it had good lines going both ways. We would use a laser today, and they used to use plumb lines. Remember those? Drop the plumb lines and everything. But they would look for a stone that had, had good lines going both ways, and everything, the integrity of that building was based off of that stone. And so God is saying, I laid in Zion, I placed, I positioned in Zion a stone, not just any stone, a cornerstone, corner foundation stone. And then Peter, you can see where he pulled out this chosen and precious, it's chosen and precious. And then he says, whoever believes in him. Now here's group number one again. This is group number one, those who believe in him. So what group is Peter talking about? He's talking about the elect exiles. He's talking about the ones he's writing to that are saved. And it says, whoever believes in him, what's it take to believe in him? What's it mean to believe in him? Just think about the people that he's writing to. Okay? They are persecuted Christians. They are being burned at the stake. They are being fed to the lions. They are being put on racks and stretched in all dimensions to get them to say Caesar is Lord and what comes out of their mouth. Jesus is Lord. What's it mean for them to believe in Jesus? That they were willing to what? Die for him. Never forsake the one who would never forsake you. Okay? 
they denied their very self. And their life was not about them anymore. It was about Jesus. They took up their cross. Cross meaning it's suffering. That I would suffer, even suffer, because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And they're following after him. I mean, and knowing that their next step is, is into his presence, into his physical presence. So, you know, I think so many times over the years, over the years, we have not talked about believe that way. We have made believe just kind of like a surface kind of thing. And I think we, we need to stop every time we talk about believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and say, wait a minute here. What it means is a total life transformation upon your life. And actually, for that life transformation to happen, God's got to intervene to make that happen. Okay? And they will not be put to shame is the end there. So what happens? What was happening to the persecuted ones? What was happening? They were being put to shame. I mean, on the human level, on a earthly level, they were being put to shame. But these ones who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, on a heavenly level, they will what? Never be put to shame. Never be put to shame. So I thought, oh, there's a stone, just a visual of that cornerstone and just, just how it, everything, and you are laid upon that stone. You are being built into a spiritual house. God's house is made up of his children. And every one of his children are based off of him. The church is based off of Jesus Christ. So verse 7, verse 7, back to our passage, it says, so the honor is to you for you who believe, that's group number one, but, every time you come to but in the scripture, circle it, but for those who do not believe, here's group number two, those who do not believe, then he uses another reference the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, has become the cornerstone. So group number one has the honor bestowed on them because they believe in the chosen precious cornerstone that God laid in Jerusalem for his house to be built on. Group number two are those who do not believe. The scripture reference that he uses is Psalm 118, 118, and he just uses verse 22, but I want to read 22, 23, and 24 to you. Psalm 118. It says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone or the cornerstone. So that's the verse he uses. The next verse says, the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. It's the Lord that has placed that stone in Zion. It's the Lord who has done this. And for, and for us to see that, it is marvelous in our eyes. Marvelous in our eyes so much that we say the next verse, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's what we are rejoicing about so much that God did put a stone in Zion, that man tried to thwart and rejected that stone, but that stone is chosen and precious. It's so chosen and precious that it's the cornerstone that his family is built upon, is built upon. So um, Peter states this as a fact when he goes and he says those words, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He states it as a fact. This is just a fact. This is, this is what you 
can stand upon. It makes me think back to Matthew chapter 21, because this is where Jesus is going to use the same verses. Matthew chapter 21, Jesus does the parable of the tenants. And starting in verse 33, and you're going to hear the same words again. And probably this is where Peter heard it the first time. He says, um, in, and if you look at chapter 21 and you go down to verse 45, just to pre pre um, this, it says, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard the Jesus parables, they knew they, he was talking about them. So as he's telling the parable, um, there's some bad guys in the parable. And so they know he's talking about them. He, they know they're the bad guys. Okay. So back to verse 33, he says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press, built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and they went away on a journey. And when the harvest approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to to collect its fruit. So God created this big old world that we live in and he created it with everything it needs. And then he, he put man in it and he put man in it to tend it, to take care of it, to, to, to steward it, but also that he put man and especially the Israelite people to, to, to point back to God, to say it's God who has done all of this. And so now God is looking to see if there's some fruit that has come from this. Verse 35, the tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time. The tenants treated them in the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he says. That's also happened. What did God do? God continued to send prophets and his people and his judges to the people of Israel. And, 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 and what did they do with the prophets? What did they do with Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and, uh, and, and all these prophets? A lot of them got beat. A lot of them got persecuted. A lot of them got killed who were bringing the words of God. But last of all, I will send my son. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about himself. Well, he's telling the story. What are they going to do? Verse 38, and when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Man, what is he pronouncing? Jesus is pronouncing his own what? Death, not only his own death, but how it was going to, how it was going to happen. And, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to get in the story, in the story, in the parable, if we can get rid of the heir, guess who gets the property? We do. We've been trying to do that for a long time. We, if we can get rid of God and if we can get rid of Jesus, who's in charge? We're in charge, kind of thing. Well, there's an, the, um, well, what did Paul Harvey used to say? The rest of the story, yes. Verse 40, therefore, when the owners of the vineyard comes, what will he do to the tenants? He throws it back and says, what do you think he should do to these tenants who have done this? He, he will bring those wretcheds to a wretched end. They're answering, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the share of the crop at harvest time. Yeah, that's the logical thing to do. I mean, that's the, that's the logical thing to do is just to say, hey, we need new tenants here. Then Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? 
and he goes back to the same thing, Psalm 118, 22, and he does 23 also. The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone or cornerstone, and the Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in your eyes. Marvelous in your eyes. Therefore, he goes on, I tell you, that's all authority. That's like Jesus saying, thus saith the Lord. I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And here's where I take this group number two, those who don't believe. There's, there's, there's a subgroup in here. Those who fall on this stone will be broken to pieces. So they trip over the stone. But then there's another group, but he who, on whom it falls will be crushed. There's a, where the stone comes down from this way will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees told the parable, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that it, he was a prophet. He was a prophet. So I, I take this in this second group, group number two, those who do not believe, there's like two groups in there. There are those that are, have apathy to Jesus. They, they kind of trip over Jesus. They kind of, well, you, you believe in Jesus, I believe in something else, and that's okay, whatever. You know, we just kind of get along, get along, and, you know, you have your thing, I have my thing, kind of thing, and they just kind of trip over Jesus, okay? But then there's others that are antagonistic to Jesus. They, they look at Jesus and go, he's a threat to their life, and they are just all out against him. Okay, the point here, though, is whether you're tripping over Jesus <laughs> or Jesus is like this huge weight that's falling on you, it's the same result. Same result. Verse 8. We're almost done. Verse 8. And, the, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So Peter's cross reference, one more. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. Write it down there. Group number one believes Jesus as the cornerstone set by God. They crave his word and they obey his words. Group number two does not believe Jesus as the cornerstone set by God. They reject his words and they disobey his words. When he describes it in this verse that he gives, he says a stumbling it, some is the word for it's in the way. They strike their foot, foot against it. So there's that first group that's kind of have apathy toward Jesus. The second group, then he says, but a rock of offense. He uses a different word. He uses Petra. Petra is not building material, okay? Petra is a large outcropping. It's a ledge. It's massive. It's massive. And what is that to them? It's an offense. Here's that antagonistic person toward Christ, the one that sees Jesus as a trap, as a snare, as something to do battle against. And then Peter ends it with, as they were destined to do. He throws that in there, and I think he throws it in there for us to realize again and again that God is sovereign over all, that God has a set plan, and that the, the, the actions of man will not thwart the, the plan of God. The actions of man, actually, in the plan of God, he will tell you what those actions are before they ever happen. That's how sovereign he is. And I put down some verses there that you can look up later and just see how it just reiterates again, there is a plan of God that is being acted out. But 
I want to have throw this verse in there that I don't have on there. It's Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 9. Because the, the God who is sovereign over all, the God who calls out to us, is also the God who tells us to call out to him. So in verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's a big belief, okay, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and you are justified, and it is with your words that you confess that and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. There it is again. Never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew or Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all those who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Will be saved. So the God who is God and sovereign over all, even down to the minute parts of the plan, it's the same God that calls out to you to call upon the name of the Lord, that you would be saved. You would be saved. So what do we learn from this passage? Um, Aaron and the team, come on back up. In the midst of persecution, the Christian is to continue to crave God's word. In the midst of persecution, the Christian is to crave God's word. Number two, the Christian is to continue to surrender the ways of the world. You will have to continue to do this because the ways of the world will creep in. And you need, as a Christian, to continue to surrender the ways of the world. Number three, the Christian is to mimic Jesus who was rejected by men but chose an impression to God who gave his life as an acceptable sacrifice to God. We as Christians are to mimic that. Number four, the Christian's reward is not in this kingdom. I think we have to fight against that because we for the rewards to be here and now. But there are rewards that are only come from heaven. And lastly, the non-Christian's response to God is not believing Jesus is God's provided salvation. And he's rejecting him as such. And he's has apathy to or he's antagonistic against, then they disobey God's words. That's the group two's human response to the cornerstone that has been set. The cornerstone that has been set. So one last thing is that just to remind ourselves together that the salvation that Peter is talking about to the Christians, the first century Christians that are being persecuted heavily is the same salvation that you have today. It's the same salvation. It's not any different. And the commands that Peter gives to those first century Christians who are being persecuted to live this way are no different than the commands that we have today to live as Christians in our world. They are the same. Let's stand and let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. It is powerful word, Lord. And um, I pray that we will think on it more. We will cherish what you have given to us. In my precious name, amen.